Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the sermon series that we're going through together as a congregation called Reopening Christianity, we are engaging a set of five very important questions to ask ourselves. And these questions invite us to look at ourselves, to look at our Christian faith life, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our habits, and to look at them from a fresh and reoriented perspective, or at least that's the hope. And as the world continues to slowly leave lockdown mode, we have found ourselves in the midst of a great opportunity to reevaluate our priorities and the things that matter most to us. And the question today has us do that very thing. The question is this, are you willing to follow Jesus as your Lord? Here's why this is such an important question for us to ask ourselves. The major problem with Christians all over the world and Christianity is this. Christians are perfectly fine with Jesus being their savior, but few are willing to follow him as Lord. This may sound odd to you hearing it at first. After all, we do call Jesus Lord all the time in our worship. We call him Lord in the Apostles' Creed, in the hymns that we sing, and in our prayers. Jesus and the word Lord really just go together quite naturally for us as Christians because it's his name, but it's also a title or position for Jesus. So then what is a Lord exactly? By definition, a Lord is a, a, a person or a thing who has power and influence and authority. So a Lord is someone that you live under, that you serve and that you obey. A Lord is someone with control. Now let's contrast that with the word savior. A savior is a person who saves someone else or something else from danger. And saviors for us have many different names. They're heroes, liberators, rescuers, our friends in our time of need. A savior is a title that is normally regarded with a lot of respect and admiration. And why do we treat saviors in this way? Because they did something for us, often free of charge. For that reason, saviors are very likable. We want them around. They're easy to get along with. They're the people we need in our lives because they make us feel safe and comfortable and free. A lord, on the other hand, can sometimes have a very different reputation. A lord is someone you serve, someone you obey. Why? Well, because you have to. A lord is put in positions over you outside of your control, and you can't really do much about the fact that they are a lord. They call the shots. They make the rules, even if we don't like it. We don't really call anyone a lord in today's world with our language now, but we certainly do have lords all around us and over us. Our parents, teachers, a boss, the president, the governor, law enforcement, all of these people and positions have authority over us. And a Lord can sometimes make our life uncomfortable or even difficult. Like when your boss asks you to work overtime or work over the weekend when you had other plans, or when your parent disciplines you or grounds you or when it's time to pay taxes to the government. 
We often, we often have the choice to disobey or obey authority if we want to, but that usually doesn't come without consequence. There's not much we can do about the fact that they're in charge and we're not. Lords are the people or things that we serve. They have control, they have power. Saviors serve us. Jesus is both our Lord and Savior. He is ultimate power and control and glory. He can do whatever he wants. But he also saves us. But here's the problem. We like Jesus as Savior, but not so much as Lord. Jesus as Savior lets us off the hook. And we take that and we kind of twist it into our own sinful advantage at times. Or that's the, the temptation. Because Jesus as Lord makes us uncomfortable and can be inconvenient. Jesus as Lord commands us to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This means that we are to put others first, that we are to not gossip about them or bring down their reputation. This means we are to follow God's law and live a righteous life. This means that we are to stand up for our faith and stand up for what's right, even when the situation is difficult to do so. Yet, time after time again, we choose to do what's easiest. We choose to do what's convenient. We choose to do what fits our interests and agendas, especially in situations where there's peer pressure involved. We shy away from sharing our faith through word and deed. We don't make any time for God in our busy schedules and our busy lives, only thinking of him when we think we need him. All of these things we do make Jesus as Lord fit into a very comfortable and convenient God that we can control in our lives. And what happens when we turn God into someone who's comfortable and convenient and safe for us? Well, we become the ones who are in control. We become the Lord's. At least we think we do. When we give into the dangerous temptation to twist the Jesus of the Bible into a version of Jesus that we're comfortable with, we end up with a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have. We end up with a Jesus who doesn't mind half-hearted devotion or a Jesus who would never infringe on our comforts and securities. We end up with a Jesus who only cares about what we care about. We end up with a Jesus who can help us accomplish our plans, our power. This version of Jesus and Christianity is the one where we're calling the shots, and we've all bought into it. But what does the Jesus of the Bible say to us? He says, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We heard that in the last verse of the gospel reading. This means that you have to be willing, up to, you have to be willing to give up everything. Your life, your dreams, maybe your family, the things that you own, anything. You have to be willing to give up these things, to follow Jesus, to serve him, to obey him. Like it or not, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He's Lord of the universe. He decides who the disciples are. He decides life or death. Jesus gives us a very tall order in that reading. 
the call to become a disciple. It's a very costly one, and he's very transparent about what it may cost you. It may cost you your dreams, your plans, your family, and maybe even your own life. But when we stop to think about this, is there anyone able, let alone willing, to pay this price to follow a God? Is there anyone who's able to fully follow Jesus as Lord? No. Not without him being your Savior first. The Lord your God in his infinite power and wisdom and glory humbled himself to become your servant and your Savior to walk upon this earth. He did it to pay the cost of true discipleship, the cost that he was asking by dying himself, by dying to this world, in order to give you the full benefit of being that disciple, to count you as that disciple, which is salvation, which is eternal life, which is joy with him. Jesus was the only one who was able and the only one who would do such a thing. All to become your Lord and your Savior. All to give you his perfect life through the forgiveness of sins. If Jesus was only our Lord but not our Savior, none of us would make the cut to be a disciple and to have that eternal life. But Jesus went all in for us. He's the only Lord who would do such a sacrificial thing. The Lord of heaven and earth became the servant of all. He is Lord and Savior. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life and the Lord of your heart. That's why he did all these things. But what that means is that he wants you to be all in for him. He wants to be the one in your life that you pursue in everything that you do in your heart. He wants you to be more like the prophet Elisha. We heard just a little bit of his story in the Old Testament reading today. And it's just a brief little part, but it's such an important moment in this prophet's life. We hear in the story that he was out in the field tilling with his, um, with his oxen, driving the last pair of the oxen. This already indicates that he was a successful man. The fact that he had 12 pair of oxen means that he had a good amount of material possession and wealth and standing in society. In other words, he, things were going well for him. He was doing all right. He was comfortable. But all of a sudden, Elijah, the most powerful, faith-filled prophet of the day, comes by and throws his cloak onto Elisha. Now, back in that day, many thousands of years ago, it was a big deal to have a prophet throw his cloak on you. It was a divine calling, an, an anointment. It was Elijah offering Elisha a job. But Elisha wasn't out there looking for this job. He wasn't applying to become a prophet, let alone the successor to the most powerful prophet of the day. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us if he did anything to be in this position to be worthy of that. But now Elisha had a choice to make. He could either stay in that field, working, the, working with his family in his comfort and his security, or he could follow after this man who in the previous chapter called down fire from heaven and single-handedly won a battle against 850 false prophets. This was not just any ordinary opportunity. What did Elisha do? Well, first, he said goodbye to his family. 
But then what he does next is shocking. He takes the oxen, slaughters them, and cooks them with the farming tools by burning the farming tools. It was one thing to take your farm animals and slaughter them, but it was a whole other thing to take the instruments of your livelihood and use them as the fuel for the fire to cook the meat and feed everyone. This was an extreme, ridiculous, out-of-control situation. He was not thinking. He was just doing it. He was making it clear that there was no turning back at this point. But God didn't put this story in the Bible to teach us how to use our farming equipment responsibly. It's a story of total devotion. It's a story of all-in discipleship. As baptized children of God, you and I have been selected by God too. In our baptisms, God's cloak was thrown onto us, his cloak of righteousness, his cloak of forgiveness and eternal life. We were anointed to become children of God. And just as that crazy opportunity showed up in Elisha's life out of nowhere to follow God, the Holy Spirit gives us amazing opportunities to follow after God and to serve him. And we often don't see these opportunities coming either. Maybe you're out on a walk in the neighborhood during the spring, and you see that neighbor that you haven't talked to all winter. Perhaps it's been weeks or months or even years since you've had a real conversation with them. But then you feel this pull in your heart that you would want to go and just talk with them, to be a good neighbor to them. Maybe you've got a pull in your heart to call up that old friend you haven't talked to for a while. And then you remember you haven't talked to them about faith for many years, and you know that they're not really a Christian anymore. Maybe you're stuck in that same old sin, that same old mistake that you keep making, and you know it's wrong because it's harming your relationship with God and with your family, and you feel the pull to finally leave that behind you and to be free of it. Opportunities like these come knocking all the time in our lives as Christians. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord your God calling to you to follow him. And you have a decision to make. Are you going to let Jesus be the Lord of your life and just go? Or are you going to keep calling the shots? Following Jesus as our Lord does not mean we all have to get together after service and throw all of our belongings into a dumpster and become street preachers and, and yell at people all day. Following Jesus as our Lord means that we love God, that we really love him, that we love him deeply in our hearts, that we love him in such a way that we're ready to go wherever he takes us, that we're willing to listen for him to say, come follow me and go. But we know that love takes sacrifice. We know that from our earthly relationships. And so following Jesus as Lord is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make you unpopular. It's going to ask you to give up things in your life. But the world needs that kind of witness so badly now and throughout this age. Why should we love God like this? Well, because he first loved us by becoming our savior, by dying for us, by rising for us, by giving us the Holy Spirit and eternal life. God is the one who stirs these opportunities to follow in our hearts. Following Jesus is not a burden, but the greatest opportunity of our lifetimes, of our eternal life. So answer God's call. Embrace him fully 
Let Jesus be the Lord of your entire life. With these opportunities to follow him, we will certainly fail along the way. We will be in situations where we can't do it on our own. But as we follow him, he gives us his grace, his strength, and his love. Because we don't follow Jesus alone. We don't follow him to earn our salvation. We follow him because we love him. Our Lord is worth following. So ask him, how can you follow Jesus more closely as your Lord? And be ready when you ask him, because he will give you those opportunities. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the one true faith 